Tell me yeah. what you had for breakfast. That is the, the breakfast. I had chicken wings. Ew. We, we're ordering chicken wings for breakfast. I know it's crazy. Why'd you do that? No, because uh, I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and then. But we're just, <laughs> the I know, I know. I might as well chicken wings. You know, I haven't had chicken wings for like I don't know two months. So. So you woke up in the morning. You ordered chicken wings. Yeah, we for just breakfast. say, hey, let's get some wings. I know it's crazy. <laughs> That's but the, I don't know. I mean, what else are gonna get through, uh, through delivery? So. Where, where are you going next week? I'm going to Mizu, uh, St. Louis. Okay. It's a cold Mizu festival. Okay, you're having a piece played there? Yeah. It's um, Alarm with Sound Ensemble. Oh, okay. So it's a festival they have there, it's a, which is one, uh, one week long. And then they invite six composers and then two guest composers. Okay, and yeah. you, what, you wrote a piece for them? Yeah, for the full ensemble. My levels are good, but yours are, yours are a little low. Really? Should I speak closer? The only thing is, is this mixer is kind of a piece of shit. No, so, it's okay. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so sometimes you hear a little bit of background noise for this. Sure. Plus we have... Uh, It'd be a very beautiful view. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus we have... And also air conditioning too. Oh, do you want to turn it off? We'll die if we turn it off though, right? Uh, I mean, I can turn it a little bit less. That's fine. Maybe turn it a little bit less. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, are, are we going to die? If we start yeah. to die, we'll turn it on again. No, no, no. Just because like, it was, it's hot outside. So. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like, we'll melt. I'm such a nomad with this project. It's been like Why? just traveling because because I don't have a studio. Like, oh right? right, yeah, yeah. So I always so I have to travel and no, but it's much better. Houses. You see what where they live, you know, what their studio or, is like, <laughs> or where their friends live. That's true. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah, very good friend. Yeah. Okay, so where were you? Where were you just? We're about to start. This is kind of starting. Right okay, uh, I went to a festival called Etchings Festival. Okay, it's in uh, Southern France. It's only one week long, and then uh, I had a piece played there. And it was last week. How did it go? Okay, considering the fact that I finished the piece pretty late, very very late, like a couple of days before the first rehearsal. So, oh, that's not fair. But anyway, <laughs> I, it's my bad. You know, but they did the best they could. So, are they going to play it again? Uh, I don't think so. But I mean, I'm going to get a, another group to play it again in the future. Where are you originally from? Tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, I was born in Taiwan. Taichung, Taiwan is a small city in Taiwan. I mean, it's not that small, but you know, it's a very small country. Anyway, so. Uh, my parents are musicians. My dad is a violinist. My mom's a cellist. So I'm destined to do music. And uh, I actually was a pianist when I was younger, but I was composing sort of for fun, you know. And after a while, I just got bored of practicing other people's music. So I started composing. And then I came to the States when I was 14, and I did my high school in Boston. And after that... Did your parents go with you? No, just myself. Yeah. Just Wait, they myself. shipped you off to yeah, uh, at the age of 14? Yeah. They just... Put you on a plane, one-way ticket. And I didn't speak any English. I, I, I knew like, I don't know, four or five words. Yeah. Was this your decision? Was this your, their decision? Uh, half and half. Because um, in Taiwan, you have to go to military. And I didn't want to do that. Oh, okay. So I had to leave before, you know, I get drafted. So. Oh, it was one of those things, Yes, huh? that's right. Wow. Yeah. So it's like a lot of Israelis do that too. They yeah, have a exactly. requirement that either know somebody who can get them out of it yeah. or they just leave the country that's yeah so i just left yeah so technically right now i cannot go back for another five six years Wait, right now you yeah. can't go back yeah why because what? if i go back i have to serve military oh my god and then uh they have to wait until you're 36 or 37 so that you know they say oh you're too old to go to the military so oh, what holy shit yeah okay so yeah. uh what that's not <laughs> that's funny that's the most interesting beginning ever I okay know. 
is it that rigorous the uh, military or it was just that you didn't want to lose that time that I you just don't want to lose two years okay and then um back then it was a lot harder but now it's a little bit easier and then you know I'm a little older now I don't know if I can take that kind of uh training and besides I think two years of my life is just such a waste of time doing nothing and I'm afraid that going there you know not using my brain just following someone else's order it's going to really screw up my thinking yeah okay yeah. I understand that um most people do it though or uh, a lot of musicians actually they try to escape so they do what i do you know they come here they study and then if they get a job they can stay here for a while or sometimes if they cannot find something they go back and do the military how did you get in here don't you have to like apply for like a visa isn't it difficult to get here yeah so i when i came to boston i applied for a school and i got a student visa that's how i can actually can stay here but high school. but you applied for what like public school oh uh, it's a arts school in boston okay and then uh you know because um you know just for artists you know music and dancers and you know other things do you ever see your i mean did you not see your parents for, for a long, a long time? time yeah i don't see them very often yeah or sometimes uh they have to fly but it's very expensive so uh i usually go back maybe i don't know maybe two three years not very often god that is brutal yeah it's pretty hard so is this something that happens a lot in that country that like they a, a lot of people are like we don't want our kid to be doing this and not because it's like it's dangerous like you're going to have to go fight somewhere but because right. it's just two years where they could be developing some other skill. Right. And also a lot of people they just feel like maybe it's better education in the states. For I mean for music for certain things that's definitely true. And so they thought oh maybe it's better and uh, he can get better education, can see the world better or explore different things. Were you looking at other countries to go to? At the time, no. Because I was too young, I didn't know what else was happening. And also my parents always thought that uh, the States, you know, it's a much better place for music. But now I think back, I don't know if I would have chose uh, States to, to do music. What, what would you have rather done? I don't know, maybe go to France or go to Germany or something. Because I mean, now I'm more interested in their music. I'm not so interested in American music. Okay. But back then, I, I didn't know anything, so... And it wasn't even like your, your parents were just like, you're not doing it. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. just they didn't know, right? And then they said, well, the States and you know, it seems a good place. And they also have some friends here. So they thought, oh, maybe that's easier. Where, this is uh, the, bizarre. The, yeah, the logistics of this is amazing. Where did you stay when you were here? So it was a boarding school, thank God. Okay. So I just live on campus. You know, there's a dormitory, and, which is good because um, that's how I learn English. Because, I mean, I've got to hang out with my friends, right? Yeah. So i got to learn how to speak English. And you were just the... Uh, uh, Sophomore. Wow. Okay, so you do that, yeah. and it's an art school. What's yeah. this art school like? Uh, it's a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, which is good. You know, I But get, not just musicians, like visual artists? Yeah, and, visual artists, okay. dancers, yeah. You know, theaters, actors, and writers. So, which is actually a very, uh, very nice campus. It's a very nice environment because you hang out with all artists. So they understand what you're going through. And actually, a lot of people are from other countries. So actually, all, everybody lives on campus. Nobody's from there. So everybody feels like, you know, we are part of family, which I thought was a very, very nice idea. That everybody's away from their parents, away from their friends. Just you for a different reason. Yeah, right? me yeah. for a different reason, yeah. All right, and then you do that, and then what, you go to? So I went to, um, I did my undergrad at Juilliard. And so I, uh, I just moved to New York. And then I've been in New York ever since. Since uh, 2001. Do you only have an undergraduate degree? No, no, no. So I, sorry. So I did undergrad, my master's, and my DMA at Juilliard. Wow. Why did you stay there for so long? <laughs> because um, at the time, I really liked my teacher. 
I mean, I, 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 yes, I, I love my teacher, and it's a very good school for certain reasons. Not everything I like, but um, okay, give me the reasons why it's a good school. Because uh, as a composer, uh, I can say that I get the best performers for my music. I mean, Juilliard is a very good school for you know performing arts. So every piece of mine has always been played extremely well. I cannot complain. And then uh, working with good musicians for me as a composer is very important. So I know what you know the limits and the the, the things that we, you know one can do with the instruments. So for me, it was a very very nice opportunity to work with musicians. And also, I'm a pianist, so I play with very good musicians, and I accompany them. Sometimes we do chamber music. So I thought it was a very nice, um, sort of different, it's more old school kind of training for a composer that you have to play instruments and you work with other musicians. So for me, that was great. And living in New York City, I mean, so many concerts, and then the opera house is right next to my school, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, wh- why are we there for so long? I mean, what, what was the total amount of years you were there for? So it was four plus two plus five. So 11 years. God damn, it's a it, decade. That's a long time, yes. Yeah. I mean, in the very beginning, I really liked my teacher. And then after he passed away... This be- is Milton Babbitt, right? Yes, okay. Babbitt was my teacher. And then in the very beginning, you know, I thought it was a great teacher and I love him. And, you know, it was great experience. But after he was sort of semi-retiring, after he passed away, it became more difficult because uh, my music didn't really fit the style or the the general sort of scene there you know actually i was i was gonna find a way to try and bring that up because listening to your stuff yeah it makes sense that you're like oh it's just at france and yeah. i'm writing a you know and i'm writing a piece for uh alarm will sound well yeah. i mean they do tons of eclectic stuff but right. like yeah when did you start going in that direction and like what what something something that like milton babbitt never gave you any crap for and then once he passed away you were kind of exposed to like to tell me that story sure um you know when i auditioned at julia at the time i didn't get in because uh the day i went out audition it was uh it was snowing and babbitt didn't come he was you know he lived in princeton it's very it's very far so i was like you know fine i didn't get into julia big deal you know i wasn't gonna go there at the time and then the admission office was so nice that they sent my application to babbitt's house they said oh maybe babbitt would be interested in this kid and so he took me. So it was completely sort of a, a last-minute decision. It was like, oh, why not go to Julia? Was what was your music like at that point? What, what, what did he look at and see? It was, um, I wouldn't say similar, but in the same sort of uh, genre. It was the same sort of style. That it's, 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 it's definitely not tonal. And it has a lot of different... Um, um, at the time, it was really interesting the, working with sets, many different sets, and a lot of different systems. And I still do. And then uh, at the time, I was very interested in and having sort of a, a lot of different um, um, schemes working together, you know, one for for tempo, one for rhythm, one for pitch, and stuff like that. So, and then at the time, I was really interested in Babbitt's music. So, I thought it was perfect. You know, I could study with the master. So, and at the time, my music definitely I knew was not part of the the whole tonal sort of uh, environment of Juilliard because other four faculty, most of their students write quite. I don't want to use the word conservative. But definitely a little why more. Why not though? Why is that? I mean, why is why does that have a bad connotation? Isn't that weird? For me, it is not. But for them, they feel like if you if you're not writing tonal music or writing traditional music, then you're just living in the past. And then those are the comments that I got every time when I have a jury. When they look at my music, they say, "Oh, your music's so I don't know, so avant-garde, trying to copy whatever European style. It's very." Uh, it's old school, you know. Would they judge? They, so they consider that old school. Yeah. But they think that tonal music they, is. They, yeah. Do you think that's kind of, funny? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like this weird kind of 
reversal right. like thing because I know a lot of people who think actually the opposite. Yes, right. Me too. Yeah, and then they make all this uh, quite nasty comments about my music all the time. So I, I mean, I learn how to take it. You know, not not personally. So. But why stay there for a decade? If, oh, well, actually, actually, that's not true because you said you were with you were with Babbitt for most of the time. Yeah, and, and they're great musicians. You know, yeah. and also great city. Get, get to hear a lot of concerts, and I love opera. So, when did he pass? When did he pass away? He passed away in 2011. So not too long ago. And then when did you graduate? I graduated last year, 2012. Okay, so it was only like a year of Babbittless. Right, but the thing is, at the end of his life, uh, for the last two years, he wasn't really at school that much. He was quite sick and he was sort of semi-retired. So, I mean, he wasn't there to deal with a lot of stuff. He made it till 90, huh? Yeah, I know. That's amazing. God, that's crazy. Yeah. And still teaching, even though he's semi-retired. I know, and he took the subway by himself every single week from Princeton. That's ridiculous. Wait, he took he took public transportation yeah. from Princeton to yeah. New York City yeah. every week. That's like, crazy. What was it like studying with him? What's what's he like as a person? As a person, he's very generous, very warm, uh, extremely nice, and very um, insightful, of course. But at the same time, he's very interested in what you have to say. It's not just about him. You know, the lesson time is really just about you. And he doesn't want to talk about his music. He doesn't want to talk about how he composes. It's really just about what you want to do and what you want to achieve. So for that, I think it's great. And I also like the fact that he doesn't impose his own sort of philosophy or whatever thinking onto you, you know. He will obviously argue with you, and a lot of times I do argue with him about things. But uh, I like the fact that he makes you go through this thinking process, that every single note that you write, there has to be a reason, a reason for you to say, oh, well, this is why I need to put this note here. This is why I need to do this particular thing here. So I, I, I kind of like that. Sometimes it could get very uh, overwhelming, but I do like the fact that he got me to this idea of thinking about my music, thinking how I should compose my music. But that rigor that you're talking about, isn't, that is his philosophy, isn't it? Like right. It's not like maybe, you know, maybe doing crazy set theory to, right. for every parameter you know, is his specific take on it, but a, that type of rigor in composition is kind of also his, his thinking. Like, would, would you be able to go up to him and be like, oh, because I don't know. It's a whim, and that's not good enough for him? No, sometimes he said that's fine. But the yeah. thing is, it's true, that thinking is very much like him, but the reasons behind it is completely different. See, the reasons for him to do certain notes, he has his own reason, but it could be completely different from my, my, my reason, and that's okay with him, as long as he feels like you thought, thought it through from the very beginning to the end. G- give me an example of a lesson then with him. Well, um, I remember there was a piece... What I was writing, and then I got stuck in the middle. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. And then um, he said that, you know, kiddo, I'm not one of those teachers going to tell you how you're going to write your next bar. I'm not one of those teachers going to tell you and say, you got to fix that note. He doesn't do that. You know, he, he has never done that in my music. We just talk about what I was thinking, you know, up to that point, and what my, some of my ideas following that moment. And just by talking to him, he has very insightful thing to say. He said, oh, you know, that, that idea is interesting. You never really developed that idea. Or maybe this place, you know, uh, that, that thing is, it seems to suggest a lot of different ideas. But maybe you can think about that. And I just feel like, you know, he's constantly suggesting ideas from my own ideas instead yeah. of from him. Which I like that, you know. But you have to give me a more concrete example then. I like I'm, I I like to get like nitty gritty and nerdy. Right. So like right because um I remember that at that piece, that moment I was like you know this is a moment I feel like I need to change 
to a different character or a different section or whatever. So maybe I should write something completely different. And he was like, wait a minute, why are you doing this? Is it because you got stuck? You feel like you have to get out by doing something new? And I go, that's true. I never thought of it. You know? And he said, well, let's go back and talk about how you got there. And I say, well, you know, this particular thing happening and, you know, this particular, I don't know, at a time, I don't remember, I don't know, maybe a melody or something, some sort of harmonic progression. And I thought it was very interesting, but I didn't know what to do after that. And he said, well, then, you know, you shouldn't run away with, from your problems. You should think about how you can solve it instead of like always bringing new ideas and just go from there and there, which I thought was a very interesting idea. It's just like, you know, instead of sort of just jump, but really digging and sort of find your way out in a very limited box. So you did end, did you end up changing it to a new section or you kept with the idea? I kept with the idea. And okay. I thought it was a good idea. Okay, so you, you're studying with him and you said at the very beginning, it you actually it almost sounded very Babbitt-like where you were like, okay, you know, uh, uh, attaching set theory and other types of specific yeah. parameters. Right. When did it start moving to what people are about to hear? Well, I thought it was actually uh, one of the best things ever happened to me because um, I, I don't know when, but we started having more arguments in a very, very healthy way, you know. Uh, one of the things I do not like ab- about his music, well, many things, I mean, I shouldn't say many things, but some of the things, one is harmony and the other is form and structure and drama. About Babbitt's music. Music, yes, yeah. and also his thinking. And then uh, I think that because all these th- things that I didn't like about his teaching or his, his music that really helped me to uh, figure out my own language. How am I going to deal with harmony? How am I going to deal with structure and drama? And those are things I'm sure he thought about them, but he thought of them in a very different way. Things that I couldn't connect to, you know? I'm sure that he has a reason for it, but for me, it's not enough. Well, his reason is that he's, he's old. The, the type of music that was being written, the type of sounds that he was surrounded by, what was going on in the world at that time when he was exposed to probably didn't lead him to that thinking. Right. And meanwhile, you're on the internet and you, you exactly. know, and you click on a, you know, I'm, I'm coming up with any random avant-garde composer, like a Sharino link, and you're yeah. like, oh, Jesus. It's yeah, great yeah, music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but on that end, I must say that he is not very interested in the younger generation of composers. I'm not talking about my generation, but I'm talking about generations younger than him. He's just not interested. Like people who would be in their 50s and 60s now. Yeah, like yeah. one time I talked about Fernihaus music and he wasn't that crazy about it. I don't know why. I thought that he would be like, oh, wow, you know, this guy's doing something interesting. No, he never said anything interesting. He just didn't like the kind of music. And then when I talk about, you know, Mariah's music, spectral music with him, he wasn't interesting either. I mean, we can still talk about it, but he just doesn't care for it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so you were, yeah, you understood what you appreciated about his music, but there, there were some other things that were missing from it. What were those things again? What so, like, basically how you deal with harmony, how you deal with drama, structure, uh, or form. And third is color. Because in his music, you know, every time when he uses, I don't know, like a harmonic or pizzicato or soponticello, it has a structural reason why that's there. But not a visceral reason. And yeah. Exactly. And then for me... Sometimes I don't think he cares about sound, how they sound, yeah. but it just it needs to be there for that particular reason instead of like, oh, well, you know, I need to hear this and what's the sound of the Soponticello like? You know, he didn't really care about those things. So for me, that was a good thing because now I know what are the things that I really want in my music and I can take what I, what I learned from him and add the things I'm interested in and then uh, write my own music.
I remember the first attempt to deal with harmony in that world was very difficult because, you know, set theory is not, you cannot really build harmony. I mean, you could, but acoustically, it doesn't sound very good. So I look at what Carter was doing and what Carter was um, composing. He was using all this tofton, tofton sets as harmonies. And then, you know, but he, he voiced them in a very beautiful way. So I tried that, but I didn't like it because harmonically it just didn't sound very interesting to me. At least for me, there's no uh, harmonic progression or there's no tension. It's just, everything just dissonant or everything just 12 no chord. That's it. I don't feel like harmonically it has, it doesn't suggest anything. You know, there's no uh, less dissonant or more consonant kind of thoughts. So then later on, I was really into spectral music. So I tried that a little bit and I found, oh, this is slightly more interesting. I can, I can do more things with the Oversong series or, or, or any sort of spectra that you know, I analyzed. And then that's where I am at the moment in terms of harmony, at least right now. I don't know about tomorrow or the next year. Was it a complete change in thinking of, like, did you completely abandon that old system of... Of harmonic thinking, I mean, like, in terms or of... Or, like, dodecaphonic, blah, 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 yes. blah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, in terms of harmony. And then, but the melodic thinking, uh, right now, yes. But before, I was still using some ideas from that sort of, like, you know, you have a particular uh, intervallic system that you can play around with, you know. But it's, it's all sort of uh, very intuitive. You know, that's not really a set system like Babbitt. But I take certain things I liked, you know, like how he plays with certain intervals and how he can expand certain intervals. I really like that, so I take that to heart. You still, and you still do that now? or uh, Yeah, with some intervallic uh, sort of motives, stuff like that. I mean, it's not very obvious, but it just sort of in the, it lays the... F- the, the ground for me. Would you be able to stand in front of a classroom and teach a piece with the same kind of uh, rigor that you would with a hardcore Elliot Carter dodec, you know, yeah. piece? Yeah. You would be able to do that? Yeah. To a certain extent, yes, definitely. Because uh, in my music, you know, what Babbitt taught me, everything is there for design, by design. And of course, sometimes I go off the charts and then, you know, I have my own fantasies and, you know, drift apart. But everything, I have a particular system underneath. The system itself could be very primitive, uh, primitive or sometimes could be very effective or could be very rigorous. But I still believe that in my music, everything needs to have a, a very strong you know, sort of foundation beneath it or else why am I writing this particular note? Is there some sort of tangible effect of a strict system that you put in? Do you know what I mean by that? Right. Yeah. I, I think so. I can hear, I mean... Like in spectral music, I think it's obvious, right? Because right. it, it hits you immediately. Right. But sometimes when I hear like a, 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 you know, a dodecaphonic piece, well, you know, it's, you know it, it, in general, it has, it has an effect, but it's not so much connected to the structural rigor as like the, what, what it sounds like right. when you put notes in that. I agree. You know, so I didn't go as far as that. I do things that slightly more perceivable, at least for me, in a more acoustic level. But what I do mostly is actually with, with, with rhythm, with, with temporal schemes. And for me, I actually think you can really hear it. And I especially hear it in Carter's music. Because I feel like in Carter's music, you can really hear all this different sort of uh, tempi functioning in a very interesting way. And I, when I study the music, I go, wow, there really is a system. And you can really hear it. So for me, that was very, very interesting. And I really took... You know, stole his idea how he did with Tempe and then you know using my music. What's the most whimsical thing you've done? Do you know what I mean? By in, that? In, in music? No, in in yeah, in in a piece. Like if you're going, because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to see how strict you are with this. 
right? Yes. So, like, at what, at what point were you just like, I'm just going to do whatever? Oh, but the thing is, leads me. Uh, Baba also t- told me one time, he said, you know, kiddo, don't always He court. says kiddo a lot? He, call, <laughs> he, call, he calls everybody kiddo, you know. And then, you know, even, I guess you can do that when you're, like, 88. Yeah, yeah exactly. Everybody's, everybody's kiddo a kiddo, kiddo for yeah. me, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then one time he uh, saw Samuel Adler, you know, who was quite old, and he was like, kiddo. And I was like, wow, we're on the same level, yeah. both kiddos. Yeah. Anyway, so... um. Sometimes, uh, he, once he said to me, he said, you know, don't corner yourself. Sometimes, you know, that's not necessarily good because once you corner yourself, there's no way out. Then what's the point of composing? So a lot of times I have the systems there, but I also like the conflict of me breaking the system and trying to get, trying to find different ways of, of, of developing my own ideas away from the system. So the system's almost there as a b- blueprint and I don't necessarily follow it all the time. Sometimes I go, you know what, here, I need to have more freedom then I go, well, it's fine. I, I have a reason for it because I want to. Therefore, I don't have to follow it rigorously. I mean, maybe three, four years ago, I wouldn't be able to do that. But now I have the control of saying that. Why, why would you be able to do that three, four years ago? Because I feel like at the time, I feel like I was a slave to my system. But now I feel like, you know, I should be the master of my system instead of the other way around. So a lot of times, once I have the systems down, and I break away from it, and I feel so liberating. But at the same time, it's a, it's a very nice conflict. What's that thing that made you so connected to it, though? To a system? Yeah. Like what, I'm, and I'm not talking, like, in your own, like, in your own head, why did you, why up till four years ago were you like, I have to be so loyal to this? Because at a time, I really believed that if the architecture of the piece is so perfect, then the piece would be very, very perfect, you know, would sound very perfect. It turns out that's not that's not the case. At least that's not the case for me. And also, I didn't like the process of composing, following a very, very strict system. I feel like now I'm just doing crossword puzzle. You know, telling telling me that you know, I got four four boxes, got filling the letters. For me, that's that's not composing. It's it's not fun at all. And I feel like I gotta create something so that I will really enjoy the process of composing and composing something that I like. Did you start becoming dissatisfied with the pieces? Like, oh, I don't like the way that sounds, but I felt like I had to do those notes. Yes. And then and now I don't like and now I don't like it. And why did I feel like I had to do that? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I was in a prison. Yeah. But I feel like maybe that's not uh, I shouldn't do that. Actually, one of the best lessons I ever had in my life is that uh, I got to spend three months in Paul Soccer Foundation. So in Basel? It, in Basel, yes. Yeah. I've been there. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. But the Paul Soccer Foundation is like a... Do you remember like when you were a kid, you you going to a candy like candy store? That's how I felt when I went to the building. And you see the manuscripts there. It's astonishing. Everybody I admire is there. I mean, all the 20th century, 21st century ones. And then uh, I felt like that was the greatest composition lesson because every single day I study another person's sketch and I see how they compose and how you know they I don't I don't know they design some some sort of system and then they break away from it. And I thought, oh, you know what? They do it. You know, I can do it, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think you'll end up, are you there or are you in the middle of a process of breaking away from it even more? Do you think you'll end up in a place where you're not dependent on it or do you think it'll always be there because it was so... Helpful. Yeah, well, helpful for you to think a certain way, but also kind of like conditioning I'm thinking about now. I don't know about conditioning, but definitely I feel like if the piece you're just composing out of your fly, like improvisation, you know. I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, there's no guidance for me. I feel like I'm just searching in the dark. And sometimes that could be nice. Sometimes that could be nice. 
And then I do the from time to time with form. I feel like form doesn't necessarily always have to be trying to get from A to B. You could go from many different routes, many different uh, many different sceneries you want to take your listener with you. So with form, I don't have a system for that. But for other things, I feel like, oh, well, if the music suggests to have a certain system, then the system's there. But you realize that I don't design a system before I compose. I compose a little bit and then I have some ideas. Then I design a system according to those ideas. So it's the other way around. It's not like you know, I have you know, big canvas of all the systems and go, oh, well, let's start composing because I feel like that's completely idiotic. I cannot do that. So it's more the other way around that or what the material suggests. And so, oh, maybe I can try this. Maybe I can try that.
explain to me the underlying kind of system of this of this thing that's happening. So the instrumentation is alto flute, bass clarinet, violin, cello, and harp. It's very difficult instrumentation. Is it though? I mean, I thought that I don't know. Maybe it's just that we like similar instrumentations. I think that's like a that would be a dream for me. Yes, yeah, at yeah, a time you know, when like, I got oh, the colors, you know, it's called yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. But for me, the question is, how do you deal with the harp? How do you deal with the harp with the other instruments? For me, that was a big question because the other four instruments, I think they're playing really, really well. But how does one write for the harp in a way that's interesting instead of just you know typical kind of French tradition of the very beautiful glissandos or whatnot? So for me, I spent almost two months just studying the harp. I, mean, I knew how to write for a harp before. I mean, I've written many times. Could you get your hands on one? Were you like hanging out uh, with a harp all day? I did a little bit, just for a couple of days. So I could try out some, uh, some, some, some effects. But anyway, so I spent a long time studying the harp, the sound and then the notation and how composers write with the instrument. And also I analyzed the sound a little bit and I got very interesting you know, ideas. So basically, um, I wanted this piece to be harp driven. So the harp is the soloist and then the rest is almost like a compliment in a way. They support the harp. I characterize the harp into three, um, in terms of sound, into three categories. Okay, so you have one is the percussive attack. So when you play the harp, you pluck the harp, right? And the very initial moment is the this percussive sound. So that's the percussive sound. And of course, you can do many different things on those strings, all percussive effects. And then the third is resonance. That's what harp is, right? You pluck the string and you have the resonance. And what comes in the middle it's what I call bisbilandos, you know, trying to sustain the sound. And, you know, bisbilando is a very common harp effect, or glissandos is also another one. So I thought, okay, well, you have three categories of sound, and I'm going to compose with just these three categories, and how I can develop the idea. Basically, the piece has, I don't know, 14 or 15 phrases, pretty much the same length. And each phrase always starts out exactly the same. You start with a percussive attack, some sort of bisbilando, some sort of uh, suspension of sound, and you get resonance. Now, as the piece unfolds, the percussive effects gets longer and longer. But uh, the, the bisbilando part also gets longer, but the resonance gets shorter and shorter. But the overall phrasing, the overall uh, duration for each phrase is relatively the same. And so what happens is that the harp progressively gets louder and gets more transformed, and the other instruments start to bring different aspects of the sound transpired or inspired by the harp sound. So that's how I deal with the harp in this piece. So that, that's why at the end you get those big glissandos because I thought, well, how do you, how can you make more sound with the harp? Glissandos. And then at the end, you know, the piece ends with big uh, resonance with the entire harp. So this is a narrative piece then? For the harp, yes. And since the other instruments are supporting it yes, kind of like through the definitely, whole ensemble. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's a it's really a point A to point B. This is what's this is what's eventually going on. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Do you always do something like that? Is is there always a transformational idea? No. This piece is very odd because um, I needed to figure out the tuning because I detuned the harp. So I needed to figure out the detuning of the whole piece so that I can know what 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 kind of strings I have. So I basically plan out the harp part for the entire piece from the very beginning. You know, I actually wrote the harp part first. And I wrote the other things later. Because uh, harp, I was very insecure at the time. You know, I didn't know a lot of things that was going to work. 
So I had to do that. And all you do is study that Adler book on the harp, and they're like, "This is how you do pedaling." And well, you know, right. But the thing is, I mean, he forgot to mention a lot of interesting things that I, you know, I, through studying other music, I didn't know you can do this and you can do that, and it's a wonderful sound, and you know how you can mute the string and do all those different effects. And I feel like Adler's way of writing for the harp is more orchestral sound. I wanted to write a chamber harp piece. Well, that whole book is just orchestral. That's sound true. Stuff, yeah. That's true. Yes. So I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be so hard on him. But anyway, but uh, yeah. So so basically, harp. I wrote the harp part first, and then uh, I figured out the harmonic progression for the whole piece first, and I go from there. So I mean, just because for practical reasons, I needed to know what strings I needed to detune, and then I go from there. Was this harpist on had other pieces on the concert? Yes. So, so she had to detune just for you. Uh, she also had to detune for other strings, uh, for other pieces. And for my piece, it, uh, thank God it was the last piece on console, so she had a little more time to to prepare it. And it's like, I don't know, eight or nine strings she had to detune. And it, it actually wasn't so bad. It only took, I don't know, five to ten minutes. Talk a little bit professionally now. Where do you, where do you see your music? music being played and performed? And where are you looking towards? And are you looking to stay? Here? Like, how, what's your... Playing for the next couple of years? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a, like, you know, if you'd asked me that question, I wouldn't be able to answer it. So it's kind of unfair for me to put you on the spot, but right. here we go. <laughs> well, I must say that my music is not played a lot in the States. It's, it's been played more outside the States. But in New York, I uh, have some, I have a lot of good friends who went to Juilliard and then that are starting to commission me to write pieces for them. So for me, that's actually great. You know, I got to work with really good musicians and for my friends. And it's always very um it's, it's a dream for any composer you know to write with to write for your friends and who are good musicians it's the best yeah it really is the best and then uh in a couple of years i have some some stuff in in new york it's all quite small but uh little by little i have more things in europe and also in taiwan so that for me actually is quite nice how'd you get stuff in taiwan so when i was still a student when i could still go back i um wrote some pieces for uh some symphonies there and some orchestras there and then I've gotten some uh, very nice connections. So they continue to ask me to write pieces from time to time, yeah. But I mean, now I cannot go back for the premieres. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's okay though, I mean. The second you step on the soil, they're just going to be like, oh, you're in the army. Yeah, really. They said that, you know, you are, you, you're enlisted, you know, you have to go to armies. I can't get over that. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, do you feel like New York is the best environment for you right now, or? No, I think it's, uh, it's not very healthy for me. I mean... But you, I mean, the thing is, like, there's a, it's weird because circumstances brought you here. Right. Like, and I mean, when I say circumstances, I mean, you were f 14, was it? Yeah. Who knew? Nobody. You, yeah. You were still pianist at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, I was composing at the time, but, but I yeah. mean, I actually went to school for composing first, actually. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, New York, I must say that I have a lot of friends here. So that's, that's important and who are musicians. But in terms of composers, other than some friends, I don't feel connected to the New York scene. I'm not in the New York scene. I'm not necessarily interested in the New York scene. So for me, living in New York, it's actually quite a nightmare for me because there are not that many concerts that I want to go to. And, uh, and besides, I mean... It, it, and plus, it, it's crazy expensive. It's crazy expensive. You have four roommates. Right, you know? exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's very expensive to live in a city. And also, I, I don't know, I don't get that, that kind of exuberant vibe in terms of music in the city, you know, I don't get that sort of like, oh, everybody has very similar thoughts, writing interesting music or very similar tastes. I don't get that here. I'm asking you to do something that's a little bit impossible. How would you describe the New York scene? And, keep York in mind, scene. Of course, and of course, this is you being subjective. I'm right. not saying that you're saying any facts, but what does it look like from your 
you know, little uh, prism of uh, having performances in France and doing a lot of European avant-garde things. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess New York, you can... I don't know. I mean, all right. I would just say this is how I feel. Just, I think the kind of uh, band I can uh, style has dominated sort of the New York scene for a while. And certainly there are interesting composers writing that kind of music, which that's fine with me, but it's just not my thing. And I feel like those composers, they really care about uh, writing music that's extremely uh, popular or heavily influenced by, I don't know, rock or different other genres. Or they really want to have, they want to give people a happy time, a, a nice time when they hear the music. Not necessarily a good experience, and, but just ha- have a nice time. And then the biggest problem I have is that they do not take the audience out of their comfort zone. And I think that's a big scene in their music. I feel like as a composer, if you don't take the audience with you on a journey and out of their comfort zone, then why are you writing music? What do you mean by comfort zone? It's that, you know, a lot of these composers, when I hear their music, I forget about them. You know, I, don't, I forget their the experience. I don't feel something inside. I feel like, well, that was a nice piece. That was it. You know, there was no, there's nothing that really gets deeper, ducks deeper, and trying to get into the emotion and the expression of music. Do you think when you're thinking of a comfort zone, do you mean more of a sonic comfort zone and not like maybe a political or contextual comfort uh, zone? That's true. It's more sonic yeah. and more musical, more expressive. Because I feel like they're so polite with their music, you know. They don't want to offend you. The music they write is so sort of, oh, it's very, very nice. It's very, very well done. But for me, well done is not enough for me anymore. I mean, sure, well done, I can do that. But I'm looking for something higher, something, something more profound, something more uh, personal that really make my voice mean something. Do you mingle with them at all personally? Do you know those guys? Uh, some, a lot of them I went to school with. So sometimes I see them, you know. And yeah. Sometimes, you know, they are quite successful, which is, I'm very happy for them. But I don't necessarily hang out with them, you know, regularly, so. Yeah. And the thing is, I started, I really kind of thought your way too, and then I started interviewing them. Yeah. And and then it, it's just, it was more of an, oh, okay, this is completely different from what I do. But what, you know, where they think the push is, is more of like, like I said, not that actual like sonic thing, which is w- what I prefer. And right. obviously, you know, you just said it also right. what you prefer, but more of a political and contextual type of pushing that right. doesn't take the sonic element as that primary parameter where that push is happening. Right. And I learned that from interviewing them, actually. Right. And I was like, oh, now that I now that I know that I can't judge them in the same way. I completely I did. agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. also there are composers who want to go out there and get big orchestra commissions. And that's all they do. And then uh, there are some composers who graduated, you know, I've been friends with that are now big time composers. And then that's exactly what they're doing, writing orchestra piece after another. And then for me, I just feel like I don't ever want to write the same piece twice. And I don't want to be a machine just turns out commissions after commissions. I feel like if you don't search within yourself with each piece, then every piece is just like a factory. So what's your plan? Right now? Yeah, well, I mean, like, how do you, A, a, how do you escape that and still be able to earn a living being a composer? Right. Because a lot of those orchestral pieces are, you know, they they pay a lot of money and people can live off of them. Right. And that's, that's, you know, that's great that they are able to make their money being a composer. I mean, that's very impressive. Right. Although they do have to become machine-like, like like you were saying. Yeah. What's your plan to, because you just kind of graduated, right? Yeah, a year ago, yeah. yeah, So what's your plan in... uh, being able to be a composer? I feel like 
writing for orchestra music is a thing for the past. I think right now, what I'm interested in is working with large ensembles. For me, that's much more exciting. So that's that's my goal to work with a lot of large ensembles, like alarm will sound. Yes, I mean it's this is very bizarre because uh, they don't technically they don't normally play the kind of music that I write, and but this is a great honor. But I also work with other ensembles that are more into this the stuff the stuff I'm writing, and then uh, I think I'm getting more chances, and then for me that's great. But in terms of money, uh, you know, so I th- thank God I'm a pianist. So I play, I accompany a school from time to time. So I make some oh, money okay. there. And then I have some students here and there. And then I'm also a copyist. So that's how I make my living. I'm barely surviving, yeah. But I'm happy. I mean, I, I have so much free time to work on my music. I mean, in, in New York, then I don't know. I mean, I can do this ev- anywhere. But I mean, my French is not that good. I can now move to Paris, you know. And but my- then you learned it. I mean, I moved to Berlin. I didn't know any German. And I just sounded like... And you moved to the United States and you didn't yeah. know any English. So, so I mean, in a couple years... Why not do that again? I think I might. And that's my goal, that in a couple of years, if I have enough, I don't know, income or something, I definitely will want to move to another city because I do not want to stay in New York longer than I have to. Okay, so you're really like yeah. kind of like done with it. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I guess after yeah, yeah over a decade, then exactly. Yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. You think it would be Paris? I think so. I mean, I like I like the scene there. I I like the um, lifestyle there. I mean, it's great. It's another expensive city. You know that. Yes, but I'm used to it. You know, I can. I mean, I, it's not like I have to go out to restaurants every single day. So. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you very much. Yeah.